plenty of pretty voices with nothing to say. Do you have something to say? And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Another Oscars profile coming at you as we are reviewing the movie Coda, which can be found currently on Apple TV+. Plus. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host, also Mike. So I'm kind of mad at this movie for making me as emotional as, as, as I became <laughs> while watching this. I get the same sense coda did that to you michael so i yeah. wondered if we should just take the tone right now and let it out there we'll break the fourth wall and we'll say that we're angry because of our upbringings because we were these faux tough guys growing up <laughs> or we were raised to be tough guys and we're not ab- no. the furthest things from it yes however we still have that you know built into our psyches so we're just like yeah this movie made me cry (laughs) god damn it this is cute (laughs) this is so adorable (laughs) i think i sent that text you i was like is this fucking movie gonna make me cry now (laughs) and i was like and i had to send you a tough text back i was like yeah cry motherfucker (laughs) cry (laughs) so that'll be the completely normal and rational tone you'll be getting from us through this review uh Mm -hmm. as we have an oscars profile episode for coda like we said it's on apple tv plus if you've not joined us before for an oscars profile episode you get two reviews for the price of one and uh we're going to be cursing at ourselves and our upbringing throughout it so Mm -hmm. the first half of every review is going to be a non-spoiler if you've not seen coda yet don't worry we won't ruin it for you in the first half as we talk about the performances the production values and put everything through an Oscars lens let you know how it'll stack up we think uh, come awards season time then we'll have a spoiler warning the second half of this review will be all about the plot the highs and lows of the script and uh, the story itself for Coda so let's dive right into it Mike and tell people why we feel the way we do and not recognizing and or being able to cope with the emotions that we bring out of ourselves in watching a movie like this <laughs> TMI, get ready. <laughs> All right, well, let's introduce the movie. Coda is written and directed by Sean Heater. Cian uh, Header spell, is, is the mm-hmm. spelling. Uh, I looked up the pronunciation. I hope I got it right there, Sean. Uh, she's the director of Tallulah, Orange is the New Black, uh, a bunch of episodes of Orange is the New Black, and a couple episodes of Glow. So uh, it has a CV over at Netflix, gone to Apple here. Uh, this is an adapted screenplay, something I didn't necessarily recognize at first. And I want to seek out the French film La Famille Bellier, directed mm-hmm. by Eric Lottegui. I don't think there's any question you nailed both of those pronunciations <laughs> just now. That was a film from 2014. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm excited about the Oscar potential for the screenplay. We'll see how the races stack up in in Mm -hmm. both those categories. We have no idea as of now. But we do have a cast that we love, Michael. We'll get into the full cast, but we'll talk about some headliners here. Amelia Jones, uh, she is the star. She plays uh, uh, Ruby Rossi. Eugenio Derbez is her teacher, her music teacher, Troy Kotzer, her father, Daniel Durant, her brother, and her mother is played by the Oscar winner, Marley Matlin. Mm-hmm. This movie, Coda, premiered at Sundance this past year, January 28th, 2021. It was acquired for a festival record $25 million is what Apple paid uh, to be released in theaters and streaming on August 13th. 
It's been a high reception, not only amongst we Mikes, but overall. 96% on Rotten Tomatoes right now on its first 164 critic reviews. It carries a 75 Metascore, which is very high. It carries an 8 out of 10 on IMDb on just under 800 ratings thus far. So Coda actually stopped my drinking during Sundance, for the record. <laughs> there was like a couple days where I was like, all right, maybe I shouldn't have seven Bud Lights with my four screenings in a row this night. And uh, The underrated I, aspect of how the Sundance was so mediocre for you this year that you actually took up alcoholism is quite again, the stance. I did not professionally review Sundance because I knew <laughs> I was soused. And, uh, yeah, I was watching kind of one disappointment after another. Coda was a bright spot uh, during that whatever couple week period uh so i <laughs> do want to that you lived through <laughs> michael the plot premise for coda is as a coda the acronym child of deaf adults ruby is the only hearing person in her deaf family so when the family's fishing business is threatened ruby finds herself torn pursuing torn between pursuing her love of music and her fear of abandoning her parents. And in case you were wondering, this film is set in Gloucester, Massachusetts, about 45 minutes outside of Boston. Doesn't surprise me, especially with some of the scenic shots and the cinematography of all the gorgeous, I don't know if it's a lake or a sea or the ocean or whatever it is with the forest behind it and all that stuff. You can tell it's kind of a this idyllic New England setting. Uh, I think that jumps off the screen, especially with the fishing background and all of that. Yeah, I wondered uh, if it was Derry, uh, New Hampshire, <laughs> where Stephen King had a certain clown terrorize a certain population. Because didn't that look like the same it quarry? Did. Looked, I agree. It looked very, very similar. I, I did get some it vibes. And let me tell you. That would have taken this script in a different direction. That would have been a <laughs> the unique, murderer clown. Yeah. unique film. Uh, Mike, so like I said, this was a bright spot for me at Sundance. I'm very curious, your roller coaster of emotions, or was it a roller coaster of emotions, or was it just you bracing for the fact that this was going to be emotional? How, what were your expectations for Coda? I find myself coming away from this one very similar in feeling to how I came away from Sound of Metal after the rewatch we did of Sound of Metal uh, hmm. last year's Amazon movie. I feel like there's some fringe Oscars level stuff here, but I'm not entirely sure I see, you know, contender stuff, which if you compare it to how I felt about Sound of Metal, that obviously means that Coda here is destined for six Oscar noms and a Best Picture nom on top of it all. So right, shows what right. I know, but... To me, this feels more like a resume builder, and I wasn't really expecting that. Uh, this had been hyped up so much by film Twitter and by a lot of people. I thought it would come off as melodramatic. I thought it would be overly heavy. I thought I'd be uh, kind of let down because I was getting to it later uh, after all the hype. But I don't think any of those things come off in this movie. So this is one of the cases of my expectations weren't met in a positive way for once, and I'm happy about that. So... You have started to brace yourself for having overly high expectations. In some movies, yeah, I guess. It took how many years to get to this point? All I have to do is just look down, thumb my nose at everybody who loves any property, and I'll be set. I'll be able to properly take in and objectively take in a film. This is perfect. It's We've been liking some tweets from Scott Mendelson and Eric Weber lately, kind of talking about just this thing where the film festival darling, you almost got to give it a double take, right? When yeah. all of the initial responses are swooning over a movie, 
can you believe them now? In, well, in everybody wants to be in love with a movie, right? Like everybody, you want to, if you see everybody is just admiring Coda and just loving it, you don't want to be left out unless you're me with Parasite. You want to like be part of the, the, oh, this is so great. So I could see how that feeling, that wanting to be involved and wanting to be in love can sweep some people up and maybe take away their objectivity. My argument for this would be that it totally meets that, though. It's worthy of it. It's worthy right. of the praise it gets. Yeah, parades are fun, but we right. want to go to parade for the right reason right. as exactly. film critics. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so here we can enjoy the the marching around, I would say. All right, so let's talk about the overall composition, kind of script thoughts, non-spoilers again. Like, this is a unique story, but that's also, like, archetypal. So it's, like, river-wide and river-deep. It's so specific because it's about a child of deaf adults. It's about the deaf community. It's about this deaf family with such a unique family dynamic because she is the one who has to sign for them and basically is her is their connection to yeah. the community at large, professionally and personally. And this story has been neglected for far too long in the industry. On the other hand, I think this story is, is kind of universal for, for a lot of people who have become caregivers, who have become, you know, people who their parents rely on in any one way, you know, way, shape or form. And yeah. that happens to a that's typically, hopefully, you know, everybody's journey at some point, even though I am a mama's boy, that doesn't mean other sons are, are you know, aren't good sons. That's what I'm trying to get to. The uh, the confessions and the secrets are just going to be rolling off the tongue between the both of us. And No, your, your point is well-founded, I think. And this one, I'm just going to keep picking feelings I have from movies past, but the secret of a movie like this is kind of like what Greta Gerwig did with Little Woman as well. It's like you can get, you're telling a very specific story that's not run of the mill and is very unique and stands on its own feet. But if you can get that story to be relatable mm -hmm. to a wide swath of your audience, that's really a trick that uh, it takes a very a deft touch in the script to pull off and the actors too, obviously. And I think this one does it in that same way. The relatability of this movie is totally off the charts I, I absolutely agree and it goes beyond just the few avenues a movie like this opens itself up to uh with in the, the examples that we've cited so far i mean everyone for example has parents who embarrass them in high school and some yeah. of us currently are the parents embarrassing our own kids currently hopefully yes <laughs> so you know whether you or your parents talk with your hands or their mouths nobody wants to be getting the talk from mom and dad in front of a classmate they have a crush on when they're in high school, you know? So they're really, I mean, this movie does a great job in kind of, yes, it's about this very unique, specific setting, but it's, it involves so much more and so many more avenues to relate to it. Right. We, when we saw the trailer and reviewed the trailer, we were like, all right, dramatically, this movie's gonna work. I mean, it just makes so much sense right. in terms of story structure, and yet... I th I was really glad to see that the comedy came through on yeah. the other levels because like the B story like this is genuinely funny stuff. So absolutely, if you're worried about watching Coda because you think it's just going to be you know something that uh, is vegetables, don't be. Like there's there's plenty of dessert here. Uh, I will say though, in terms of the dramatic structure, I mean this is a story about fishermen 
right? And it's a story about choir, <laughs> high school choir, <laughs> and you wouldn't think those two would connect. And yet, you know how those two are always related to one another. <laughs> and yeah, and yeah, and yet, like the way they connect these is just brilliant because, I mean, she sings on the boat in the very first uh, scene of the movie. She's belting out a classic uh, Motown song. And then we have the rest of the movie is about her aspiring as a, as a singer and her family can't enjoy it. So this is like screenwriting 101 when you have a protagonist uh, that you know, has like this Achilles heel situation. I mean, this is such a unique conflict. Like in Jurassic Park, Sam Neill must guide children through Jurassic Park. And he loves dinosaurs, <laughs> but he's afraid of children. <laughs> and here you have uh, a daughter whose parents have depended on her, uh, and she's never done anything outside of her family and outside of that codependent relationship. And here she wants to do something separate from them. She wants to sing and pursue that. And yet it's coming at odds with, uh, you know, their fishing careers, the whole family business. It's such a unique question, too. Like, how do you chase a dream that your parents not only don't understand, but inherently cannot understand? And, Mm. And how do you, you know, relate that desire to them? And how do you meet them at that level? And it's... You know, I, 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 again, I just I'm in awe of the uh, relatability of this story that all of us find, in, in, even though it's so specific. Because, again, like you said, it's you're talking about a fisherman <laughs> and high school <laughs> choir here. We're not talking about stuff that everybody does every day. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. But we get this like inverted B story of the parents and the the, the kids getting involved in their in one another's social lives that's really hilarious so mm-hmm. uh, so if you add that everybody you know enjoys that awkward comedy but it's kind of reversed the parents are the immature ones yes with and, the and, and extremely well done too in yeah. the performances i mean we're going to talk about performances but you said you've seen people getting aggravated about how this story comes off so i I disagree with some of the late-breaking buzz that uh, this movie's a little too relatable, <laughs> is too emotional, or too... Because here's the thing, like, this movie follows tropes. Like, if you... You could guess the movie, right? I mean, I, I don't this know is, if that's a This spoiler, is... But... I mean, we're, we're talking about how unique the setup is and the context is for... This is the most simple story. Right. Uh, like, But it's such a nice... Well done, simple story. And you already talked about how some movies are vegetables and that, you know, you have to take them in and, and we're two fat guys talking about vegetables here, but you have to sit. They're (laughs) tough to swallow sometime. You have to eat them. You got to force yourself to sit through it. This is, this is like mashed potatoes smothered in gravy, or this is a bowl of ice cream. This is just wholesome. This is comfort food. It makes you feel good. A movie like this. And part of the reason that it's able to do that is because it's just such a simple straightforward story. You could have a simple straightforward story that's just done really freaking well and there's good stuff and Oscar's level stuff around and involved in it. And this is an example of that. It's a well-told story. The uh the goods are delivered, the mashed potatoes are eaten. Uh, I would totally <laughs> agree with you. And I and I think, you know, I don't care about necessarily being spoiled on this one to me this is like ted lasso you know i mean this is like like you said this is good for the soul this is wholesome this is that apple tv plus brand where 
it doesn't surprise you that they spent the Sundance record $25 million to acquire it because it mm-hmm. just fit their brand so perfectly. A quality purchase by them, and it plays well when you watch it. Absolutely. So I'm rooting for adapted screenplay for Sean Heater here. I'm hoping that at the very least, a movie like this that's had its moment at the festival, that hopefully is winning hearts and minds now in August, getting an early play, getting some early play, right, leading into that this Oscars uh, season, that, all right, it's going to be front and center for, for the Gothams, etc. Maybe we have a situation where, at the very least, in a typical year, you give that newcomer who, you know, maybe they haven't had the resumes that other people have had, but you give that newcomer a spot in one of the screenplay categories. This is what we see uh, every year. We had a writer-director the Academy falls in love with, and without fail lately, if there's something Oscars-worthy there, the trend will be to reward the auteur for the screenplay over the directorial job. Hmm. I don't know that I feel like well, I do know. I don't. This isn't a ladybird to me. This isn't a get out to me. I don't feel like after watching this, I just watched something that has a legitimate shot at winning Best Picture or should be in the Best Picture conversation. But I'm with you. I'd be thrilled to see Sean Heater here get some love in the adapted screenplay category for pulling off uh, what was pulled off, especially again with a really simple story, a straightforward story. And she just nailed it. So. We're going to talk about the performances now. Amelia Jones, I want to talk about her in a minute. She's from Lock and Key, which is BAFTA nominated, so she's really launching her career. But, Mike, let's start with, like, the name recognition, because Marley Matlin, who was, of course, the Oscar winner for from Children of a Lesser God, the first uh, uh, deaf actress to win an Oscar. She is the mom, Jackie Rossi, here. What would you think of her performance? She's great, and she's great at playing the, like, the aloof, oh, you're just a kid, you don't know what your dreams really are yet, and no, I don't think everything's about me, but the reality is she's trying to make things about her a little too much type character. Hmm. She, she, like, I wanted to, like, yell at her, I wanted to hug her at times, she was perfect. She's Laurie Metcalf in Lady Bird. She is, I mean, she's that type of mother. She's really a pro's pro in this movie, too. Like, you could see her... Like, she's not giving you the huge awards performance at all no, no, times. No, no, she's not at all. an assist person where she's assisting Troy Kotzer next to her or, or her kids in the film. Uh, they're having the big emotional moments in the performance where the parents are kind of like, they got this wry sense of humor where they're not really surprised by anything and they're kind of just looking at like, hey, this, mm-hmm. this shit's going down. I'm enjoying half of it that's going wrong. But she's also got the gravitas to handle when the when the drama ratchets up. So I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how people people view that performance because it doesn't necessarily hit you over the head or it doesn't period uh and uh but she's got the oscar track record right she's got the name i would think i I mean i don't know that she's necessarily who i would champion in the supporting uh category from this movie but i yeah like you said i would not be surprised and it wouldn't (laughs) disappoint me to see her get uh, another oscars campaign out of this yeah so choir teacher eugenio derbez (laughs) Bernardo Villalobos, he's from Dora Overboard, Shrek Two. He's he's uh, how to how to tame a Latin lover. I forget that movie name, but he's funny, right? He's a comedian. He's he steals everything in this movie. He's it's almost too much. Like if he was <laughs> if his character was any more masochistic, I think he would have literally become Edward James almost stand and deliver character. <laughs> like he's supposed to be chaotic, and I get that, but. This guy, this teacher, is obsessed 
with the lives of 16 and 17 year old students. Yeah. And when the movie strikes the tone, this one did, that's endearing. But like, <laughs> if you take a step away, or you examine this from like 300 feet away and you start putting yourself in the shoes of the protagonist, it plays as a little bizarre. <laughs> yes, I would agree. However, <laughs> this is a more realistic way teachers talk to kids like this felt grounded sure like, I, yeah like i know he's hamming it up at times but we see so many movies where it's even it's it's just like so sugar-coated and it's strange mm-hmm. and but like kids talk nonsense half the time and this guy it, it does a great job of without you know without offending the kid, almost offending all of them <laughs> <laughs> and just you know leveling with the kids and and that's the thing like a lot of a lot of these movies like any 80s movie it's just teachers lying to children and you get like this fear of teachers thing <laughs> this guy is just bluntly honest with all the kids and i loved it it's hilarious and it's true he kind of stalks this girl throughout the movie though too <laughs> it's, it's a little weird she stalks him anyway we'll get to it spoilers anyway all right so the two performances that i think may have more Oscars traction just be, you know because they have the scenes in a way. Troy Kotzer as Frank Rossi, the father, and Daniel Durant, the brother, Leo Rossi, in this movie. I don't know that either one's going to get any real momentum. Uh, I could be totally wrong, but they deserve notice. And for me, Kotzer especially. Mm. I mean, he's hilarious as the father. He's unapologetically that character the entire film, and he's responsible for some of the biggest laughs of the movie. But... He's still serious enough to pull off his part in the emotional climax of the film. Right. Uh, I ha- you know, the way his character is set up kind of leads to some worsts for me, too, that I'll talk about in spoilers. But as is, I-, I think it's that to me is the performance I would champion and try to have a campaign for for the uh, uh, for the supporting category. And, and he's a-, a veteran, too. He's a director. He's been in a lot of movies over the years. Uh, truly deaf. It'd it- it be heartwarming to see him get some academy recognition i would love it i i think it's worthy so the question becomes can he get the campaign mounted and rolling here and and what's the competition i mean that's what it is every year well, the, right? the, the competition overall you know covid could be doing a movie like this a service if right. we think about it because we, you know, we don't know what the hell is going to move And stuff is still moving. I mean, stuff just moved, you know, a couple hours before we hit record here. So we don't know what the playing field is going to be. We still do have that murderer's row in the fall winter as of right now. But we've just seen major studios aren't afraid to pull something off the schedule from just six or seven weeks away from its release date. So I'm with you in kind of a backwards way. Maybe this one has gets an easier path to contend and makes a campaign more possible. Well, that, that's what I'm rooting for at the end of the day, because I feel like, we, we, look, we didn't do the retrospective category, retrospective thing for all that long, but we have seen this supporting performance nominated a hundred times from just the big name. Like, this mm-hmm. is the Alan Arkin performance. This right. is the Tommy Lee Jones performance uh, in, in Lincoln. This is the performance that handles the dramatic scenes. Yeah. It also has some levity to it. There's versatility. There's gravitas. He doesn't have to be the, you know, the scene stealer every time, but he can't help but have the brilliant reaction shots. Right. So, 
I, I just I loved it, and I, and I think the son Daniel Durant, he's got the big Oscar reel scenes. He's got the big arguing with his sister mm-hmm. scenes, and you know he really does a nice job pulling those off. I'm feeling every every word he says, and and you and he's got such a there's so much conflict there. The, the, like it's a deep conflict. It's not just simple. You know, you shouldn't do this. You won't do that. I mean, there's a deep conflict there that actually feels, quote unquote, lived in because of a shared history. Like, you know, almost like the writer wrote in a, an actual brother sister relationship with all that baggage. Yeah. And it's ambiguous. And it's ambiguous. Ambiguous is the word that an adult would use. Uh, it's ambiguous <laughs> enough still that I, I don't think it, it answers all the questions. And that's something else I'm going to highlight in spoilers. Uh, it can lead to a frustration when you're watching that, and I think that's purposeful. I agree, though. It's it's really, really well-written as far as a relationship for siblings goes. Yeah, so quick shout-out to Amy Forth. Forsyth, she's Gertie. She's the best friend in this. Uh, she's from the novice, beautiful boy. We summon the darkness. I've been shouting out her career for a little bit now. I'm a big fan. Ferdia Walsh Pilo. This is Miles. This is the star of Sink Street, which was a just talk talk about a film Twitter favorite from mm-hmm. a couple years ago. So he's got musical chops. He's also from Vikings, and uh, they both do a nice job here. Michael, what I want to talk about is Amelia Jones because. She is not a child of deaf adults herself. She spent 18 months learning sign language. She's got this huge voice. She's got these great scenes one after another. She's executing them on different levels, allowing herself to be a pro's pro working against these other actors and get very, you know, she's given to them. She's not overtaking them in a bunch of these scenes. She's just got tears in her eyes. I thought she did a marvelous job and I would say she's got the performance of the film and I don't think that's going out on a limb. However, this is the performance we always see neglected or we always see relegated to the Gotham's or the indie spirits because it's the first time breakthrough performance, at least on an awards level. Yeah, the uh, what was that Lily Collins movie, Mike? Uh, to the Bone? To the Bone, yeah. It's, it, it, reminiscent of, of that kind of breakout performance for me. I, I, I agree, but I also agree that she's the performance of the entire movie. She's phenomenal. I think, yeah. and I'm just learning when filling in the doc for this that she was a Bathanom already, and she's actually British, which, one, <laughs> shows why we specify ourselves as an Oscars pundits podcast more so than an awards pundits, because mm. that, that's news to me. But two, more importantly, <laughs> and less embarrassing for me, I think that's one of the best American accents I've heard in a while that she has yeah. in this movie. Like, I had no idea that she was anything other than American herself or had that Northeastern exasperated teenager. God, aren't my parents will just never understand uh, attitude. And she has to play a gambit of emotions there, not just because she is playing this teenage girl and the, she's got the usual conflicts with parents and brothers and all this, but she has to have a tone of voice that we all approve of because of the universal availability and access that we all feel. I mean, because we can all relate to this movie in so many different ways, there's so many people that have to approve of her reaction and her inflection and her cadence. And I, I really just, I'm stunned at how well she does and, and how, how massively her performance appeals to so many people. Yeah, I I was blown away by her. I thought she really uh, she really nailed it, and I'm, I'm really I, I'm really excited for her career. I wonder if this movie's destiny, in terms of its performances, is some ensemble nominations, maybe an ensemble win or two. We're gonna have these three hundred million dollar movies, maybe, <laughs> maybe not, yeah, but yeah. coming out with huge casts. I just wonder if an irresistibly lovable cast like this 
who put, you know, wear their emotions on their sleeves, really do a nice job, who make us laugh, make us cry. If this is the type of, you know, tight ensemble that that does find its way to SAG, that does at first Gotham's maybe, you know, build some momentum on an ensemble level, on ensemble screenplay level, maybe ensemble screenplay supporting actor level. I wonder if that's possible, especially if these these other films fall off, get vetted out mm-hmm. during the film festival sure. circuit, move off. Yeah, look, I mean, I think the baseline for this, the minimum, is that this is going to be a hell of a resume builder for everybody. Not that, you know, somebody, the an Oscar stature, Oscar winner, the stature of Marley Matlin needs that, but I, 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 this is something that it's like, oh, damn, all these people should now be on everyone's radar. I mean, these oh, performances yeah. are great. And and, and Sean Heater's And Sean Heater the, as well, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, she's doing the Crip Camp adaptation. Uh that we've talked about. So, all right, we have production values that are strong. I don't know if anybody's going to nominate these for awards, but like the cinematography of the sea on the sea, that's magical stuff. That's an added bonus for me. Uh, But I think, you know, the sound and the, the audio of this movie is, is very important. And she, she made some simple decisions that really spoke volumes. This is some of the best stuff of the movie. It's a, I'm going to stay spoiler-free, but this is getting into my best. And sound is so important because there's no sound in some of the biggest spots of this film. And I really, really appreciate when a movie like this or Sound of Metal, when they literally put us in the POV of those afflicted uh, and have us really experience the world through a deaf person's eyes and ears. And there's a difference. I mean, where a Sound of Metal was about adapting to a gradual loss of hearing and how the lack or absence of sound played a role in that frustration, Coda here is more about underscoring what the world is like in everyday life and the litany of impairments and burdens every day, you know, quote unquote, normal life puts on the hearing disabled. Yeah. The the job I think this film does in highlighting everyday films that we all take for granted. I, I think that's one of the best things about this movie, both in terms of not only showing the truly the systemic issues that the deaf face, mm-hmm. but also in showing how much technology has eased the difficulty of communicating for everybody. And the punctuation, a lot of times, in some of the most impactful scenes, is the audio refinement and is the uh, sound mixing and sound engineering. I, I really, I like you. I don't think it's, you know, going to be recognized on an academy level, especially because a lot of times it's just a lack of sound, a complete lack of sound. Um, but I, I think it's no less important, in, and it's a masterful job in this movie, I feel. And, and I would go back to the performances in a way because when you watch this film there are huge portions of dialogue that are just signed where you don't Mm -hmm. i mean nothing's being spoken uh except maybe a a phrase or two here or there that's also a a a very deliberate decision that that works so well in this movie and you just you you you're drawn into the characters so much and their performances so much more uh because of those decisions where you could have had her kind of do the bs thing of speaking things Talking more out loud yes yeah and they yeah. could read lips and you could have you could have shoehorned things in but no i i do think i do think that's very important and i i you know just bravo to uh th- th- this cast everybody crew. this felt extremely authentic i agree i guess the last thing i want to say about the production values is this is uh an awesome soundtrack. Yes. I mean, you got Etta James, the Isley brothers, Marvin Gaye, the clash, Joni Mitchell. I mean, classics. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, I, I, I think my hell might be a, you know, ninth grade choir <laughs> in, in many other lives. Not in this movie, though. Not in this movie. I enjoyed it immensely, all the all the after-school special scenes there. You made hell uh, livable for me, Sean Heater. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, I mean, Oscar's wrap-up, Oscar Lenz wrap-up, rather. If, if you had to put money down and you had to, to, to nominate it for something, I would say adapted screenplay... I'm hoping it makes more of a mark. Yeah. And, and even without the field coming back to it, I just think in a typical year, any year, a lot of potential contenders, they look awesome and then they, you know, they're released and, oh my God, that was not an Oscar movie at all. In the Heights. And people will remember the feel good movie with, with all this artistry. People will remember the movie that, that impacted them as emotionally as Coda probably has for most people. And it could be a My Octopus Teacher irresistible feeling. I mean, we we haven't just seen it with with, uh, My Octopus Teacher. We've seen it throughout Oscar's history. We've seen this happen. I mean, I think, you know, Get Out had that momentum Mm -hmm. for it. Now, do we sense the momentum for Coda the same way we did for Get Out? Hell no. Right. I wish, but no. So the question becomes, does it, it, if it gets in, Mike... Can it win? Like, is this more dangerous if it's in <laughs> than, you know, if it's out, you know, if it just gets one nomination or two. But if this movie is a five or six nominee, like, I think the Academy, when that screener piled down the line, they're going to want to watch it. I mean, if this is a feel good, if this is the Ted Lasso of the cat of the of the Oscar screener pile, this might be formidable as a winner, I would say. It's an interesting point. Uh, I, I I still kind of side on if this gets nominated, that should be enough of a victory just because, I mean, we're speaking so glowingly about it because it is that good of a movie, but it has such a high, a tall hill to climb to get into there. Uh, you know, it's release date, it's a smaller film, it's lesser known actors, it's, it, mm-hmm. it is in this year where right now, as of, you know, August 17th, there's still a murderer's row out there to come and fall in winter. Uh, it's a prolonged yeah. year again. So there there are a lot of stuff, uh, the stuff, that's a educated sentence. There's a lot of obstacles still for it to overcome just to get into the Academy conversation. So I would think any nomination for a movie like this would be a huge win. I, I think you're you're making a good point in that this is so irresistible and charming that if there are nominations to be had from this, that could absolutely help its case to be maybe give it an edge over something else and maybe it does come out with a win. I, I think gun to my head, I, I would say maybe a nom or two, but I felt mm-hmm. the same about Sound of Metal and we saw what Sound of Metal did. So yeah. who knows? It's possible. I'm rooting for it, is what yeah, I'll say. Same. And I, we rarely approve of a parade, Michael. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is a, a MMO stamped parade. <laughs> and watch this movie. And yeah, let's talk spoilers. Let's do it. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. 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 Mike! 
Oscar, Oscar Sprint spoilers! This is the spoiler section for the movie Coda, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar in an Oscars profile episode. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause on us. Go watch it on Apple TV Plus right now or your local theater. Uh, we'll be here waiting for you to come back and hit play. If you've seen the movie already, or if you're just curious to hear our thoughts, all spoilers for Coda from here on out. The Oscars profile brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar, Michael. All right, so let's get some worst scenes out of the way, and then we kind of go through chronologically, end at the ending for, for, for a rarity for us. We don't always do it mm-hmm. that way, but I think it's proper here. So worst scene number one, and it's a couple scenes. It's a recurring gag that did not work for me. And, in fact, I was gagging. Like, this is so cheesy. The brother and sister signing curse word names at one another. Like, if you laughed at that, good for you. I'm glad for you. <laughs> I am just too cynical to laugh at that. Like, Come on. But aren't we all cheesy and just douche like asses when we're talking to our siblings? (laughs) Correct. But maybe that's the thing. Maybe I just called my brothers and I. We've called each other too many names that this is just. (laughs) Come on. Graduate to the big boy names. (laughs) No, they have some big boy names. I mean, those are disgusting things to say to each other. But I don't know. Anyway, uh, a couple scenes involving the fisherman storyline that bothered me. Like, the fishermen invite the brother to the bar, right? It was like mid-movie. Yeah. And then they just let him sit there. And, like, I'm almost mad at these characters, right? Because later in the scene, the bartender, who's the sister's friend, they have a text conversation via their phones. If they can't, like, somebody would grab a napkin. The guy who invited him to the bar would grab a napkin, write a few things down, or make sure he knew if the kid could read lips or not. I mean, you don't just let him twist in the wind and, and other guys bully him, and you don't allow that to happen if you're going to invite him. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the idea was that it would it ha- all happen so fast and the brother was already in a bad place mentally because he was, that's that B storyline of him feeling un- underappreciated and being kind of resentful that they have to rely so much on uh, the Ruby character. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm with you that it was, it's a, it's a tough watch and there's, obviously other outs it's tough to have the text scene right after that miscommunication happens i agree yeah so that that was clunky for me and i just get mad at people sucking so hard and (laughs) i almost i mean i get it people suck out there and these people were awful in that scene so when when they bond later i'm a little more skeptical i guess i would say but all right um i don't know i mean the, the the cliched Pennywise cave <laughs> jumping uh, fun day by the uh, by the old quarry. Wouldn't pond it there. be nice if we were old? Yeah, <laughs> a little much. I agree. <laughs> I mean, I'm expecting a balloon to fly over their heads at any moment. But it was absurdly. There's some cliche. tropes that are that are done in this movie. I absolutely agree that are a little much and melodramatic. That's one where she's skipping work to, you know, frolic near the Pennywise cave with her bow or soon to be bow, the duet partner. The opening when she when Ruby's first trying out for uh, choir in the first place, I thought was a little over. The, like her voice is that good, but she's <laughs> that unsure of singing in front of people with it. At, at 18 years yeah. old, you wouldn't know your voice is passable to be saying in front of other people by that point. I understand the whole idea is that she, her family's deaf, but her voice is immaculate. She has one friend. Does she trust her one friend's opinion when her one friend wants to bang her brother? <laughs> well, right. yeah. There is that too, right? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, 
I have a whole theory about another way this movie could have gone. <laughs> uh, I'll get to that coming up. But all right, so yeah, I'm not a fan of these those two scenes. Uh, I'm not a fan of the scene of the observer, right? And I, I like the fallouts of both these scenes. Number mm-hmm. one, uh, the, the last two, the fallout payoff scenes. So th- these are set up scenes where they I thought they knocked the follow ups out of the park, but. When the Coast Guard is coming, like, wouldn't the Observer figure out they were deaf, like, a half hour earlier because they would have communicated So, she had all? to know. I, my, my take on that was she knew they were deaf, and that's why she called the Coast Guard. Correct. She does that in the moment. Like, the brother's right. Right, right around the brother's like... You know, uh, she must have called because she immediately gets on her phone and then right. the Coast Guard is there and they're not being dangerous at all. Anyway, right. she's just tattletaling on them. But and she feels uncomfortable. Exactly. So it's, a her, it's totally a her problem. I mean, they probably should have a, a, a hearing individual on the boat to, to hear the or whatever. They should have a system. They know that. We know that. Everybody knows that. But she is an asshole for not communicating well enough earlier. Like it's just, it's far fetched to me. Like we see her helping, you know, them helping them, her on the boat. We, we see all this. So they almost, it's like, it goes over each other's heads, but it doesn't come up to like a half hour later. What were you doing within that half hour when you're on the open water? It's just, it seems far fetched and BS. I wish she was more established as, as a care, or at least what her job is too. Why did she have to come that day? Like what, there's not really a reference made to we're having an observer on other than she happens to come the day Ruby skips work. Yeah. I, I don't. Why was she there? Like, why are there observers? What's the point of observers? Just to make sure, is this a common thing? Does every fisherman have to have an observer? Like, what? Why her? Why did that happen? I need more explanation. I, I would say that the the payoff of that is one of the best scenes in the movie. So we're going to get uh, to the dramatic payoffs in a minute. I, I guess uh, we could, do you have any more worse or could we get back into bed? So the emotional climax of this movie mm-hmm. is absolutely adorable, right? Like, Mr. V wants Ruby to audition still. She sits on it, and she's been struggling all movie to relate, to relay to uh, her parents how much singing means to her. And so there's this... So lovely, this we're mad at it. Be- yeah. Well, no, you're right. I mean, that's, that's there's part of that. But <laughs> the beautiful moment where she's at home, and her dad feels her throat and her chest as she's singing for him loudly, and it's adorable. It is... Mm-hmm. Maybe the most unrealistic scene I've ever seen. <laughs> like, it's adorable <laughs> and it's irresistible and it's charming, but for a codependent, How? overbearing patriarch whose uh-huh. income relies essentially, for lack of a better phrase, on the exploitation of skills of his youngest child, to just be changed in that moment and say, to throw away his own future and be like, no, you have to go to the audition tomorrow morning. It's it, it would never happen in real life, but it's it's right. nice that the, it happens in a movie. I would say there's a more gradual change to the to the father, okay? Because I mean, he's when we get the the slowdown. I, yeah, I disagree with you wholeheartedly. Okay. I don't know if you or we can get it now. We get into yeah, it ahead. now because I because it's, I mean the end of the movie, the long silent scene at the concert is the father's POV. I agree. The fa- the father gets nudged by the wife seeing the other people yes, crying. I agree. The father is the one fidgeting around for most of that. And the f- it shows you the father realizing that she is She's the genuine article. Yes, I agree. 
She's got a gift here. She's not just anybody uh, going after this. And and even the fact earlier, like he's begrudgingly chastising her in the follow up to the Coast Guard scene. I, right? So I agree I mean, that the father that is the one heart. that's that's breaking down the entire movie long. He's the one that we know is going to propel Ruby to actually chase her dream. And that's what does it. I, I I'm just being a cynical dick. Through tears, <laughs> angry begrudged tears. This is that like it's I anyway. It's, that's it's my a, that does yeah. this movie not come off as a bit too idealistic at times? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. But come on, <laughs> right. it's so beautiful. Right. Well, my point that is, was... if that's your excuse, if that's your answer to it, then maybe no, you, my... you're a little short. <laughs> my answer to it is that the father is like the old see. I mean, he's basically Willem Dafoe in the lighthouse. <laughs> for half the movie where he's just like blah 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 but the the whole thing is the daughter is so essential to them and they are so codependent and you could see his performance wanting to let his daughter do what she she wants to do they're encouraging her with the boyfriend right which is totally the opposite of what you think they would do with the the first boyfriend who comes over. They they're like basically just say, "Hey, wear condoms." Well, this is and this is some of the best too for me is that yeah. the establishment of that tension within a family is a very real thing. How like, yeah, we support you. You can do your whatever you want, but at the same time, oh, you're just a don't kid. abandon. Yeah, us. don't abandon yeah. us. Ah, oh, you're just yeah. a kid. Hey, we need you for this. You, you know, you could chase your dreams as long as they don't collide and clash with what we need out of you. And that's the thing. Like the father's, like we. I mean, her, him, and the wife are having a big argument that the daughter peeks in and sees. Like we, I should sell the boat, right? right? I mean, I should sell the boat. We can't keep doing this. And it's almost like BS when his daughter comes at him. You know, with the big uh, conversation after the or before the, before the concert, right? Where she's like, "No, I'm going to stay on, and it's what I want to do." And he's like, "You're sure you want to do it?" But you could see all over his face, right. like he feels guilty. Right. That as he should, as he should. It. I mean, honestly, she because he knows she's sacrificing herself for it, and she's not. She's you know, yeah. that's that's one of the things I think this movie does extremely, extremely well is that you know unanswerable tension, and that's why it becomes too idealistic. I guess I just well, yeah. I mean, if if you can be too idealistic when you are showing these ideals. <laughs> <laughs> on screen and making me cry when he touches her throat. I'm just yes, like, I'm with face. you. I'm with the you. The contortion, my facial contortions, not to just go. <laughs> That's when I texted you. Just lose That's it. when I texted you. I'm like, am I going to cry in this movie now? <laughs> That's exactly the scene. Well, at least I responded in a mature manner as we established. Mike, uh, I, you know, I don't want to go over all of the jokes in this movie, but uh, I, I do like there are like five or six really funny scenes. I mean, the the whole situation in the uh, the doctor's in office. the doctor's office that killed me, so and it's just and there's the payoff to that. I mean, that's a well written scene because. And they worked in the signing like the signing is is funny. Mm-hmm. Like if they're not ta- like if this was made by a bunch of hearing actors and a bunch of you know they couldn't find the humor in these situations. They I would agree. just show victimization. We've seen this all the time, and yet these great people have senses of humor about themselves. So the husband is making up all these extra signs about his STD. <laughs> It's not really an. ST- I mean, it's like a crab coming out of his hand. It's fucking hysterical. 
And the 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 response by Ruby too. Having I know we don't want to go into every other every joke, but he's like, "No more sex ever again," and withholding ever. the information of it being only two weeks, and that's still not enough for them. Oh, that's impossible. Yeah. That's impossible. That's that's a really funny scene. I loved yeah. it. And as a comedy, uh, you know, aficionado in terms of screenwriting, I, I'm I'm all about it. It's also a great scene when the daughter signs for the father at the the big uh, meetup of all the fishermen. The city right? council meeting there, yeah. City council, yeah. It's hysterical when it actually happens. I spit my water out <laughs> when she actually signed because he's doing this long again, the long built up sign language you wonder what he's saying it ends with like a degeneration x signal and you're like okay that's probably what he said but then she she just interprets right suck my dick right i'm dying that's really funny stuff it is the comedy in this is is top tier and so is the heart i mean the the heart is you know we have a couple scenes of passion that i think just just match the top tier the high quality comedy as well like that heart to heart like marley matlin isn't a hateable character at all but she's just oh no she's a portraying a true-to-life mother and so when we finally get that heart-to-heart between ruby and mom and and marley matlin's talking about stuff that i would never even think of like a deaf parent is kind of hoping their kid comes out deaf because how am i going to communicate with my my own child if they can hear and oh my god this stuff just like pulls at your heartstrings if there weren't people who are suffering hearing hearing impairment that were involved in the Mm -hmm. writing of this it wouldn't have come off the same way i absolutely agree and these are such rounded characters and you do have you do have the sister brother scene you have the mother daughter scene you have the father daughter scene and they all work uh, through that finale like late act 2 into act 3 one after another mm-hmm. to me those scenes just they they just nailed it so that's like the, the 15 20 minutes before those scenes i i kind of characterized as a bit of a lull like we got a little vegetables there the script lost a little momentum but once those scenes start to happen through the concert i i just think this is one of the better scripts of the year and you know what's going to happen mike i know you right. know it she's going to sign for her parents during the audition right. like she had to do all this goofy choreography at the choir concert so she couldn't do that mm-hmm. I almost think she probably would have insisted upon doing more of that then because she knew her parents were going to come. Anyway, that's fine. Delayed gratification is it's all worth it for the moment at the ending where she's just nailing her audition and all of our hearts are just I mean, your heart of stone, my heart of stone just melted into actual human being. uh, And it doesn't matter that we overlook the fact that Mr. V clearly was stalking this minor student of his <laughs> but i again i liked a lot of those scenes too like i mean she's coming to him and, and none of why does why does he better. bail her out at the recital how is he there he's done she said no, no to him the, in front of everyone <laughs> she texted him and it's so typical teenager she texted him on the way there and then the sing street kid said he he would call him right okay anyway well harry met sally no, but even he's just a funny teacher. I mean, yeah. he, they're at the concert and and he's like going to the guys with the the shirts. He's like, tuck your shirt. Everything about him Fenway. is there. Like his he, the spring <laughs> recital, the songs he picks for a high school spring recital are all about just banging and love, and like, <laughs> forcing these teenagers to sing these overly yeah. lovey dovey heart like horny songs, yeah. basically. <laughs> He's like that 70s baby, <laughs> 60s, 70s baby. And he just, yeah, they're singing all this hippie mm-hmm. shit about 
about banging. I loved it. Um, I okay. Can I get into my alternate theory? I mean, yes, I, this please. movie had me. All right, my alternate theory. I would wonder how this movie would play. Probably worse. Mm-hmm. Almost definitely worse. How would it play if she was not a good singer? <laughs> and she was just like me singing in the shower. It sounds like not another teen movie premise. <laughs> totally delusional. <laughs> like a scary movie type spoof premise. Like I just like this move this is the way to do it. This was gorgeous. This was beautiful. This was legit it legitimized everything. But there was a time like is it we don't we hear her singing at the very beginning. We can't really tell how good she is. Middle of the movie, like we don't know how good a singer she is. So I'm wondering if you could have stalled a few more scenes and just showed her montage going in and out of the uh doing exercises and we could have been built up even past the concert. I mean, there's a way to do it. Or she comes where, out for her audition and she, Desperado. On both sides now. Just at that volume and pitch, like me. And like, Why if, what if you that would happen? Come to your senses. I mean, just. This is just me deflecting, <laughs> just deflecting from we my We don't know shameful, what to do with these emotions, so we turn them into shameful, jokes. <laughs> shameful emotions, and yeah. Uh, but can, can we agree on two things, though, uh, after this movie that, again, they could have mined it for comedy. They didn't go there. We had to go back to Pennywise Lake. Mm-hmm. But I feel bad for Sing Street. Like, he's getting dumped immediately, right? <laughs> he just sounds like he's getting dumped he's like no you're gonna go away with a cello character like we only got together you know he had more than just beyond you to that school riding on that audition he choked he said it himself their relationship hinged Mm -hmm. on him getting admitted now it's over what else what else is he good for take your guitar Uh, and go home kid that's that's two weeks into her freshman year (laughs) he's 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 toast uh but second is like I feel horrible to whoever has to follow up that audition of hers. Like, can you, can you imagine? Here's Martin I mean, Boringstone was... on the oboe. <laughs> I just just smashes his violin after watching that. <laughs> I'm not going on there now. Like the the judges are turning around, looking at the parents, like check full scholarship <laughs> this is she can sing Although, and she's there a, is, amazing there is going to be an issue with her when people find out that she can only perform at her highest level while vigorously not just signing but vigorously using sign language to relay what she's singing every word sure uh, well i mean it got her out of her shell in that instance right. but yeah but, let's go but like when she's singing when she has to lay back and sing in a choir or something don't give her stupid choreography she's above that <laughs> We know this now. They get they, look it. I mean, stars. You got to kowtow to stars. <laughs> the Jimmy Johnson. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the stars can do whatever they want. Yeah, I guess that's right. Uh, let's now, let's give a final yeah. grade here, Mike. Where do you land on this? You know, I was a B plus when it when it when it came out, and I was worried that I was just a parade conductor back mm-hmm. then, and I was worried that I was. You know, it gave up the sauce, and I didn't necessarily <laughs> think that this was a good movie on its own right, but it was just by comparison and not being six beers in or whatever. <laughs> Again, I did not review Sundance for a reason, that reason. Look, it, I 
I love my movie watching experience then. Uh, I'm still in love with it now. This is a B plus 89, one of the higher grades of the year for me. And uh, yeah, I hope it I hope it lasts. I hope it makes a dent at the end of the day. Um, I'm a big fan. Yeah, I'm following your footsteps. I was going to do 86B, but I'll go up to uh, another point, put it 87B plus with you. It's just a high quality made film. It's simple. Yeah. I also really appreciate the, the simplicity of it. And just, you know, you don't have to, do these wild, intricate plots, M. Night Shyamalan, to have a decent movie. (laughs) Right. You don't have to have these far-fetched, you know, heavily plotted things. I mean, all the tropes are here. Like, this Mm -hmm. is very conventional. The way they handle these scenes, unlike what we've we've witnessed in the past. So I I appreciate that. That It was a very refreshing watch. Both times for Coda. So there you go. That's uh, those are our hopes and and stamps of approval and grades for Coda. But what matters, as always, most to us is your thoughts, dear listener. What did you think? Have you taken in the Apple TV Plus film yet? And if so, uh, what are your thoughts? What are your grades? What are your highs and lows? You can leave us those as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire on our social media. As we are at Mike, Mike, and Oscar. That's our Instagram and Facebook handles. We are at MM and Oscar. Oscar on Twitter, uh, Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. If you're on the Apple Podcasts app and listening to us right now, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would really help us out and make our entire day. Michael, so another good Oscars profile in the book. Uh, we're coming around the corner here to uh, this fall slate, which is looming on the horizon. What's coming up next from us, and what are some words of wisdom to go by? So what's coming up next immediately is going to be an Oscar race checkpoint. I think we both mm-hmm. admitted that the news is just too juicy right now at the industry at large, and certainly uh, the awards news is coming out. It's really been a preview summer for us where we're kind of, you know, looking at and looking with 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 high anticipation for uh, this fall slate that we hope remains there mm. so we're covering that story from two directions I guess uh, after that we got a couple options we're talking about a few reviews we're, we're wondering what we're gonna do there's definitely a bunch of films in September that we will focus on and there's some film festivals in the fall that we'll be covering that's all coming next eventually i do want to say i guess this is coming next and it's words of wisdom because it's both i I did record a 75 minute long uh episode with andrew morgan of the nomcast the netflix original movies podcast folks so i got out there again um and uh, i think you know you're gonna get out there again Michael, yourself, mm-hmm. uh, at some point soon to do a collab, and uh, we're, we're trying to be more social. <laughs> We've been flying by the seat of our pants, but uh, that was a, a real fun conversation, and we dove into the net Netflix award slate and really broke it down. Uh, so that we're, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out what's coming from Netflix. They've had the biggest slate every year. Do they still have that? Mm. What's their crown jewel? All kinds of. Uh, you know, debate and, and speculation there. So those, those, you know, that as a way to kind of cap off the preview summer, you know, we've been doing this all summer. That, that was a fun collab with Andrew. Good to hear that. Definitely go check that out uh, on the Nomcast feed as well. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come profile these surprise contenders with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuff in us. We will see you very soon. See ya. See ya.